Hi, and welcome to Season 2 of Big Sound Small Town, the podcast that spotlights the talented and diverse musicians in small towns and communities. This season, we're branching out to include the community of people who make it possible for musicians to be able to perform their music. The producers, the recording engineers, the venue owners, and many others. And as always, the small town musicians. Remember, small town doesn't mean small talent. Hear their stories. Today, Big Sound Small Town is coming to you from the Earl Scruggs Center in Shelby, North Carolina. And my guest is a true living North Carolina music icon, music manager and independent record label owner, Dolph Ramsor. Welcome to the show, Dolph. Well, thanks for the kind uh, and flattering uh, introduction. I really appreciate it and uh, glad to be here. 
Well, now, you're a record label owner. Yes. My, I spent my life being a musician, but my childhood dream was to do that. Now, where are you from? Well, I was born in Concord, and I grew up in uh, Cabarrus County. I grew up in Concord, but on, um, it would be labeled the Odell community of uh, Cabarrus County, which is sort of as close to Davison as it is to Concord. Okay. Well, now, <laughs> was that a dream of yours as a child? Um, well, I'm, I still am, and I always have been, just a music fan. So um, when I got to uh, college, um, I, I don't know why I thought this, but I wanted to go work for a record label. Because yeah. I studied music, not at college, I would study music as far as like reading every single sure book and magazine, history of music. Um, I would get a, a magazine called Goldmine Magazine. Yeah, I, I think that, that maybe, they, I'm not sure if that's still in publication, but it was really a record collector yeah, I remember kind that. of publication. And I was always collecting records and fascinated by um, not just music from around the world, but from here in the Piedmont and from North Carolina. I always, I, I realized then that you know, you, you grow up in a certain area and you're, you you kind of have a teen angst come out and you want a dog where you're from. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm living in this cotton mill town and it's it's got all these negative things about it. But I was smart enough to realize what great musical heritage uh, North Carolina has and, it does. and still does. And, and um, so I guess in a roundabout way, um, when I was in college and I wanted to work for a record label, I just, um, you know, I, I, it was that sort of where the dream, I'd sent some resumes out and never heard back from anybody. Right. And, um, but yeah, I, I, that was kind of a dream for me. But sure. then you still live in, in uh, Cabarrus County? Yes, well, That's up okay. to about th four months ago, I moved where I'm living in Iredell County, but I'm actually just a few miles, I'm actually a few miles from the Cabarrus, Mecklenburg, and um, a few miles from Davison, okay. North Carolina. Well, so yes, I'm still very closely. Uh, so where I'm roots. driving this to is, yeah. how does it happen that there is a record label, not only a record label, but a record company there that is not i mean your artists are huge how does that happen uh well um so i knew a guy named ken linker from concord ken ran a, a thing called the ken linker variety showcase and in getting to know ken ken would always tell me stay out of nashville You'll find more crooks in Nashville than you will at Alcatraz, which, you know. It's true, I, <laughs> it's true. Um, so I just always decided if, if I did start it, I would stay, stay in North Carolina. I, you know, it's home for me. I grew up and um, yeah, I, I know 
maybe I would I could have been better served to go to New York City, LA, or Nashville. But North Carolina's home, and um, I guess with the internet the way it is, right. you can kind of work really anywhere. Yeah, so um, plus, again, North Carolina is just so great when it comes to music. It is. So I'm in a hotbed of talent, and to me, it just um, you know. People always want to say, well, tobacco and cotton are, are North Carolina's greatest exports, or ACC basketball, or NASCAR, or, yeah. but it's music. It is music. By, by a long shot, the greatest impact we've made from the state of North Carolina has made on this world is, is music. It is. I live in a town that has actually embraced the music scene. Uh, the ones who have done well and the ones who are still here playing. So it is, I mean, that's the, that's the best thing that North Carolina has to offer. Yeah, and, and always has. And if you, if you look back, I mean, just this county we're in. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, when you look at the Mount Rushmore of roots, acoustic, folk music, whatever you want to call it, label it, uh, Earl Scruggs is on one of the four he on is. the Mount Rushmore. You know, not far from here, going up the mountain is Doc Watson. True. He would be one of all. Yes, he would he be on the Mount Rushmore. When you talk about jazz in North Carolina, John Coltrane yep. is one of. He's on the Mount Rushmore of he jazz. Is. The loneliest monk could be questionable. Some people would put him up there. You know, I would put him up there. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Yeah, so um, yeah, we, we've. It's not just roots music that's popular here in North no, Carolina. It's from not. gospel to beach music to yeah. R&B to soul, uh, country music. It, it's um, when you're a poor state. I've always felt people look inward to entertain themselves, and. Um, I think that maybe has something to do with it. Well, you know, there's um, poverty and oppression will make for good songs, that's for sure. Well, that's true too, <laughs> I, I definitely. And, you know, we're a melting pot of sorts with the Scott and Irish, yeah. Scots and Irish and the, the African-Americans here. You mix that all together and sparks can happen in sure. a positive way. And, then we're a very religious, spiritual yes, state, no. and that gives people a platform to start singing in the church when you're little. So you get that experience of of getting up on stage, mm -hmm. not stage, but getting in front well, of a congregation, and and uh, so it all. Yeah, we're just a. This is like a perfect sort of um, incubator to. Um, to happen. So. There were some of us lucky enough to Tommy Gerald, who is a fantastic yep. fiddler, who were lucky enough to go and uh, learn a lot just at his feet. He was a very genuine person who would show you how to play anything you yeah. play. Yeah, and a lot of guys like Tommy, they were blue-collar workers. Yeah. It necessarily music was not their... Um, you know, it wasn't their first thing. People no. had jobs, and then they did music second. Mm -hmm. um, and I think still to this day, you'll find some great musicians that 
have never even been on a stage here in North true. Carolina. This I mean, they, they might play, they might play organ or piano at a church, uh, but other than that, they're playing in their living room. And when I was growing up, a lot of families, especially in the Piedmont, I would think around North Carolina would have a piano in the living room, and they would have one family member that could play the piano and get everybody around together and everybody sing. So it was in my house. Yeah, my grandmother. I mean, she could. She was. A fantastic piano player. Yeah, my grandmother played Church of God style uh, piano, so her left hand was very boogie-woogie, <laughs> yeah. kind of a jump style with her left hand and could really get rocking. Yeah, I don't mind. Uh, it's kind of the same way, so, yeah. uh, so. which is which is really strange because uh, uh, there was Presbyterian ministers all in that family, and uh, they did not let her play at church, being Presbyterians. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, that's... Okay, so tell me about deciding... Okay, I'm, I'm going to... Is that what you did first, was decide you were putting together uh, a record company? Or did you go into, ma like, artist yeah, management so, first? Well, first of all, there's an artist from England named Martin Stevenson. Mm -hmm. And Martin was on Capitol Records here in the United States back in the late 80s. And he was on London Records in Europe. So he was on major labels. Right. And I was a fan of his. He had a band called Martin Stevenson and the Dainties. So on his first record, um, how I found out about him is... Um, in addition to liking Roots music, I really love a lot of punk rock and sure. post-punk music. Well. He was cut from that cloth of post-punk, but he had a he had a track called "Tribute to the Late Reverend Gary Davis." Yeah. So I'm a massive Piedmont blues fan, and Reverend Gary Davis was from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. Played a lot in North Carolina, but then moved to Harlem. Yeah. Um, so I, I became a fan of Martin's in the '80s, um, and then in around 1999. Martin had gone from being on major labels to where he was on independent labels. Well, I reached out to him, and um, he noticed I was from North Carolina. He wrote me a note saying how much he loved music from this region. Yeah. So one thing led to another, and I just had the idea, well, why don't you come over to North Carolina and I didn't know what I was doing, and I still don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but I said, why don't you come over to North Carolina, and I'll take you on a tour, kind of a musical journey. Right. I didn't know one musician. <laughs> so That's great. I reached out to some local musicians. I reached out to David Holt. Yeah. Uh, reached out to Etta Baker. Uh, and all these people were just welcoming, sure, y'all come and we'll... That's great. Um, and so that's kind of how it all started is bringing Martin Stevenson over and having taken him kind of on a little musical tour of North Carolina. Right. And um, yeah. I mean, I realized then that musicians need help. They do. They really do. <laughs> yeah. Um, the musicians 
are great at being musicians. Yes. So, um, yeah, and so one thing led to another. During that trip, and this was in July of 2000, okay, um, I met David Childers. Somehow, uh, I met David. Martin and I went to go. I actually had a show where Martin, or Martin had a show where he opened up for David. And it was at the Double Door Inn in Charlotte, North Carolina, which is no longer there. Great but David sang all these songs about salvation and damnation and redemption, <laughs> and and, um, and it really moved me. Um, and I sent David, this is before kind of, I sent David like a handwritten letter, told him that I wanted to work with him, wanted to produce a record by him. Well, he sends me a letter back saying, let's do it. So I was off to the races, and that's kind of had just started snowballing. I was helping Martin still and helping David, and then that led to a next. Then David and my mother around the same time, um, this is a couple years later, a year, year and a half, tell me, you know, there's a band from Concord. My mom had seen an article about the Ava brothers. David told me they were from Kannapolis. And, you know, being from Concord, uh, Kannapolis uh, yeah. is sort of, it's kind of like Concord, Kannapolis, and Gastonia are all fighting to see who's in last place. <laughs> I'm glad you're the one that yeah. said that. Yeah. So, um, but then I later found out they were from Concord and um, that was a big sign of, that yeah. was a big relief. Kind of funny how I, I mean, just growing up where I grew up, um, it's such a funny thing about Concord and Kannapolis. I mean, oh, to, it this, is. to this day, kids I grew up with, it's the weirdest thing how we still, it's us versus them. It's I, Shelby Kings Mountain. Yeah. Or local, or local it's funny how, the, and, and we're all the same, so it's kind of a funny thing. But um, anyway, uh, that led me, you know, David and my mother telling me about the Avett brothers. I went to go see them, and then I started not long after that working with them. And they were totally different, I guess, when you saw them at that point than where they are now, right? Well, it, yeah, it's, in some ways they're exactly the same. Uh, I mean, they have grown artistically. I mean, I think I did a show that they were on one time where they were almost punk. Yeah, they... they um, I mean, it was very, um, it was very raw and pure, and yeah. they were finding their way. I was finding my way, um, and it was, um, yeah, man. To me, it was, it feels the same in a lot of ways. I mean, um, do you remember the first record that you did? Period. The very first one when you decided you was going to do was this Martin or David? Or yeah, Martin. So when Martin came over. We recorded a thing called the Haint of the Budded Rose because Martin and I we loved Charlie Poole. Yeah, I understand. So we went on this thing where we recorded David Holt and Etta Baker and David Childers was a part of it. A lot of great musicians. I mean, great. Um, there's a finger picker from Concord, North Carolina, named Jim Brown. Um, that there's a couple things by. Jim on that record that are, I mean, astounding. Nice. He was that good. He played with 
he played with Tommy Fell and George Hamilton the fourth and uh, really great guy too. Uh, he was friends with Ken Linker. That's how I found out about Jim. But a lot of musicians, um, there's a guy named Kirk Sutphin, who's like the best old time fiddler in the world. He's from Walkertown, North Carolina, was on that record. So that was the first project. And that led me to a project by David Chewers called Blessed in an Unusual Way, where we took a lot of these spiritual type songs. Um, I mean, it's not a gospel record by any means, but it just has a, to me, growing up here in the Piedmont, I've always been fascinated by um, religion is so, it is. It's so heavy here. Um, and I'm fascinated by it. It is a fascinating uh, thing. Yeah, and there's all forms of it here there in the Piedmont. There you is. can have it can go from from uh, A.M.E. Zion, like an African American church, to a Church of God, where it's a white congregation. And and if if nobody's ever been in a Church of God, um, it can be as rocking. I mean, the church can be, uh, it can be moving in a way that you just cannot comprehend. I can certainly testify to yeah. that. Yeah, and, and, um, and it's not necessarily the greatest musicians in the world, but I learned at an early age, my dad would always say, I would rather have someone put all of their heart and soul in it than someone that's got all the talent in the world and not put the heart and soul in it. Sure. So um, we kind of mixed, it was sort of a mixture, that record, um, yeah, it just, it just sort of, um, it takes you kind of on a journey of, of uh, spiritual, it's still to me a great little gem of a record. It and is I'm really, it is. I'm proud of it. and. Um, that led to other projects, but those those were the first two things that got me started. But you know, as a kid, it wasn't me playing the music, but I would make mixtapes all the time, and um, I mean that sort of was an art form in a way. I mean, I guess that leads to the producing part of it. Is that is that how you learned to do that? Actually, well, I mean, I made hundreds of mixtapes and would make them for girlfriends. Sure. And, uh, you know, then I would tape. People kind of forget about taping songs off the radio. Oh yeah, I did. That, that was an art form in itself to try to get a song you loved to where it sound decent, <laughs> sound decent, and then not have the DJ talking all over True. it. And you had to get a little lucky, had to time it right. And uh, but um, yeah, um, Did you know these were 
All right, I'm back with Dolphin on a rainy day in the Royal Scruggs Center, and we've gotten off on Piedmont Blues. Uh, yeah, so uh, talking earlier about mixtapes, I would record, it's like every Friday night when I grew up, there was a show, uh, UNCC, um, the college in Charlotte, WFAE would broadcast a Piedmont Blues show on Friday nights. And that was, I mean, I would not miss that. I would not go to football, high school football games when I, you know, was out when I was in high school just to, just to listen stay to at home and tape it. And um, so I got really, as a little kid, I was just fascinated by Piedmont Blues, primarily because the guitar playing in it uh, this ragtime style where it's, you know, mainly those uh, men and women were just doing thumb and forefinger. Sure. They weren't doing like Earl Scruggs yeah. style. It was, it was, and you would think it's kind of primitive with just your thumb and forefinger, but it's amazing how much sound they could get out of one instrument all at the same time, playing the bass part, yeah. playing the melody part. Yeah. And you know that that really kind of came about because they realized quickly that they didn't need a bass player. True. They could save money yeah. if they played a juke joint or they played a supper or any kind of they paying gig. They wouldn't need another musician because True. they could make such a full sound. Um, but I um, I really really loved um, the Piedmont Blues in North Carolina, um, South Carolina, Virginia. I got to know, not know, but I got to meet John Jackson. He was from Virginia. He was he was actually a, a grave digger. Yeah, that's a great um, story in itself. And but he he was a great grave digger for his career, but he was a musician. Right. And he was a great Piedmont blues uh, guitarist, great banjo player as well. But he um, he told me a story 
because I was asking him about all these players, and, and he got to know uh, uh, Lone Jesse Fuller. And Jesse Fuller wrote a famous song called the San Francisco Bay Blues. And he was known as a one-man band. And he would have all these instruments all around him, stomping on drums sure. and, and playing harmonica, bells, whistles, everything. And John Jackson told me that how that all got started is Jesse Fuller, his nephew, was dying. Little nephew, little kid. So he built a coffin for him. Well, lo and behold, his nephew did not die. <laughs> so he was left with this box, a coffin. He made that into, that was his first, in, in addition to his guitar, that was his first extra instrument. That was his drum. He made that a drum. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah, I love that story. That's, that's how it all started for Jesse Fuller on this one-man band. And that's what he was known for. Then he told me another thing where Blind Blake had a song called The West Coast Blues. It's a ragtime piece. And I know this sounds, I mean, this doesn't sound that special, but we're, we're talking about 100 years ago. Sure. The West Coast to Blind Blake was not the West Coast of the United States. He was in Florida area. That was the west coast of Florida. Florida. <laughs> so yeah. it's sort of amazing how most of these Piedmont blues acts never travel more than 25, sure, 50 miles their whole life. They never were exposed to a lot of other musicians. Elizabeth Cotton from the Chapel Hill area, yeah. you know, she played the guitar with the treble string on top. She did. That's the bass string on bottom, um, not knowing mm -hmm. that. So it's, um, and all of them had certain little different styles about uh, their playing that uh, always fascinated me. And, One of the uh, things that fascinated me about those people too is we're playing on instruments that um, would be low-end music oh, instruments. No doubt. No, I mean, they're not yes. out there playing on, on high-end no. mus musical no. instruments. No, and I, I, I remember reading where a lot of times if they had a screen door, uh, they sometimes would weave the, the screen, screen and make that guitar string. Uh, yeah, so, um, but I know um, when, you, when you have a, you know, Piedmont Blues is kind of famous for having all these blind musicians. Yeah, they are. And when you stop and think about it, here in the South, the reason they were, uh, there's so many blind musicians in the Piedmont Blues is because they could not work in the fields. True. So they were giving something that they could pass the time away during the day while everybody was working in a field. So, um, you know, that's why there's so many blind musicians you know, in the Piedmont Blues. That, that stands to reason because one of, one of my early deals was I played guitar with a blind accordion player wow. who sit out in front of grocery stores. And of course, it got me in a big trouble. I, he told me, he said, if you put some glasses on, pretend like you're blind too, we'll make a lot more money. 
So of course I did. And then my dad comes walking across oh, the parking lot and I said, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble now. And I was, and he was kind of on me pretty hard. And the store manager comes out and says, you're beating a blind kid, you're beating one. And the police come, he's not, he's not blind. That's you know? funny. So, but uh, yeah, and, and a, I learned to play harmonica from a guy, Ubi Dow, uh, who was a Piedmont, almost homeless um, yeah. blues guy who could make a harmonica last forever. He could repair them. He would shave it. He used the wood insert ones and they would yeah. raise up. He'd shave them down. Then they'd go down too low. I mean, I mean he just worked it around. But I yeah. learned a lot of stuff from him too. Well, Piedmont Blues, the reason I really loved it is because it's, um, it, this, it's not repetitive like uh, the Delta Blues or Chicago True. Blues, and there's there's um, there's gospel influence, there's working man songs, there's there's ragtime things, there are all these. Um, and Gary Davis type stuff is not easy to play. No, no, I mean a lot very, of syncopation, a lot of yeah. unbelievable. I mean, really great stuff. Um, and then when you look at old time music you'll find that the Piedmont Blues in old time, they're trading a lot of songs yeah. back and forth. And what you hear, like going down the road feeling bad, done in a Piedmont Blues style versus old time, and there it's it's all the same. It is. It, and, and to me, uh, that was a beautiful thing to see uh, the inner mingling of, of art there uh, and I would discover, oh, well, here's somebody doing this. Well, I knew that song because this, yeah. Piedmont, I, I knew that off this Piedmont Blues record. Right. Uh, oh, yeah. And I, those were little kind of great discoveries. But I'm equally, I love old time music as well. Uh, you know, bluegrass. I like bluegrass. I love old time. Yeah, um, kind of the same way. Old time really never gets old to me. Um, my best friend growing up, his great-grandfather was J.E. Maynard. Yeah. And so J.E. Maynard and his crazy mountaineers, he was originally from Buncombe County, but as a child, as a kid, he moved to Concord, Cabarrus County to work in the cotton mill. Him and his brother Wade, Wade Maynard, uh, who predated Earl on the banjo, yeah. Wade played a two-finger style, mm -hmm. banjo style. They worked at Gibson Mill Plant 6 in Concord for Cannon Mills with my grandfather. My grandfather was born in 1900, and J.E. was born a little bit late, teen, late 1800s. Well, they all worked together at that mill before they got a deal. Um, J.E. And, and Wade Mater got a deal at WBT Radio to do a, a, a weekly, or maybe even a daily show. Um, so I got to meet J.E. Here's one story I'll tell you. I always thought this was fascinating, but I got to meet J.E. Maynard's uh, wife. So my best friend's great-grandmother. Okay. Sweetest lady. I mean, she was in her 90s when I got to know her, and I got to spend some time with her on numerous occasions because she lived, I don't know, she lived five miles from me growing up, if right. that. She lived on Poplar Tent Road in Concord. So if you're ever going down... 85 interstate 85 you'll see a popper 10 exit and she lived down that road um, and when i went would go there 
they had this little shop beside the house and there would be all these parts of fiddles and everything laying out. J.E. had died in like 1971, so a long time ago. So this is 80, 84, 85, 86 when I got to know her. Right. And she told me that J.E., because I've seen a picture of this, he had a show in Columbia, South Carolina, a radio show. Okay. Um, and that would have been in the 40s at some point. Well, to get from Concord to Columbia, South Carolina at that time before interstates, you know, it, it was not an all-day affair, but it would have probably been a good five-hour yeah, trip. Um, he would play at lunchtime, and she would tune in. And I've seen this photo where from that radio show, he had like 14,000 letters. Wow. People kind of forget the power of, of radio. radio before TV. Mm -hmm. a lot of people in, in the Piedmont not in the 40s did not have a TV. True. Um, but if he played a certain, him and the band played a certain fiddle tune, that meant that she needed to get in the kitchen and start cooking <laughs> because we're coming home and we'll be home at supper time. That's funny. That's yeah. a great story. That's how they would communicate. <laughs> that was uh, before telephones, really. Were you know? So that's yeah. great. Yeah. So I always thought that was. Yeah, that's that's pretty fascinating there. Yeah. Um, so. Well, did that lead you into at some point? Have you recorded artists that are in the Piedmont or old? Yeah, I mean, I've I've recorded. I made a record uh, with this band called the Stanley County Boys. Um, an old-time record. I love old-time music and some of that stuff that Martin Stevenson, the record I made with Martin, had a lot of old-time musicians. It actually had Charlie Poole. Yes. Charlie Poole and Kenny Rohr's great uh, nephews. Oh, that's cool. Um, so I just love, um, I love old-time and um, Piedmont and to me it just, I mean, I grew up sort of in a hotbed of that. Yeah, you did. Um, okay, now, so the management part, did you do that after? Well, as I mentioned earlier, musicians need help. They do. That's where I was going. So that's kind of how that's all started. Um, and, you know, I just started um, just managing artists. I mean, um, they definitely, the artists need managing, there's no doubt about that. Um, and so, um, you know, we're probably now, my company is more 70% management, 30% record label. Yeah. Uh, I just love putting records out, and I love uh, that aspect of what we do. It's not really a money maker. Uh, I'll give you a sobering. Um, reality of the music business in 2020. So, you know, you, you know, mo most people now are streaming. Yes. So it takes 1,500 uh, streams of a full record to equal one download or one purchase of a record. Right. So, you know, that's, um, that's the reality of where we're at. So a lot of times when I put records out, you know, it's not a, it's 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 not a money making thing. Um, there's a lot of labor of love that goes into it. We've got a new David Childers record that I'm really proud of because we 
we recorded it in um, in my living room with two stereo with a pair of stereo mics and with the band playing around him sometimes it's just David and the guitar and David for about nine months would come over almost once a week and at like 10 a.m. till 1 o'clock or 2 we would record all onto reel-to-reel tape yeah I've seen the video that's pretty cool yeah and um, I don't to me that it's, it's it's one of his it's one of his best works I'll just yeah, mention for with you I mean it, it's to me it's been a big labor of love we David and I took so much pride in making that and it's the sound quality it's a lightning in the bottle approach where you get it or you don't get it you got a lot of it I yeah I can tell you I mean I've listened to it and it is it is yeah I'm really proud of it. what it really does it it shows off David's talent as a songwriter and performer I mean sure he's, he does. and he's, he's excellent at both that's right yeah I mean he is one of the I've known David for a long time too and uh, he is one of the finest songwriters in, in America but he's definitely one of the one of the songwriting treasures in North Carolina for sure and I believe David when he sings he's got a conviction he about does, it doesn't he yeah, yeah. so uh, but I'm really proud of that one um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're um, continuing to. I mean, we're learning. I mean, I also have a saying where if somebody doesn't call you crazy at least once a week, you're not doing your job in the music business. So, I mean, we're trying. Um, I think growing up in the Piedmont and seeing NASCAR promoters and professional wrestling yeah, promoters. I, yeah. um, I know that sounds like a weird um, a weird thing but to me they would make uh, like Humpy Wheeler at the Charlotte Motor Speedway to kids growing up near the Spirit I grew up about six miles from there he made that like Disney World meets the Super Bowl yeah, because Richard Petty and David Pearson and all those. When I was a kid, um, those guys were like heroes. Larger than life. Larger than life. Yeah. Now, around America, not everybody. I remember, I remember I was at the beach once and I met a kid. I was around 12 years old. I met a kid from Wisconsin. And I asked him, who's your driver? <laughs> well, he didn't know what that meant. And he asked me, what do you mean? Oh, that's so funny. He's like, my mom and dad drove us down here. I said, no, 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 who's your, I'm a David Pearson fan. Like, Neil Bonnet, who's your driver? Junior Johnson, myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he was, uh, he didn't even know who Richard Petty was. So that sort of, I realized then that, you know, that was a regional, that was bigger than regional, but still, those guys were heroes to me, and then that uh, pro wrestling. They did the same thing. The Crockett's did the same thing. I exactly. With uh, no doubt. I mean, it was a larger than life. It was thing, um, and half the people would know it was fake. Half didn't. There was there was some. Well, it's like it was like it's like a, my version of a story. It doesn't necessarily have to be true as long as it's a good story. That's right. I mean, it's the entertainment value of it. That's right. I, I use a hamburger. Uh, a piece of meat and two two pieces of bread is a great little deal. It's how you embellish it that makes it really <laughs> wonderful, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and they were good at that. I mean, they were yeah, really Yeah, I mean, good. I, I really, and I just got, I had the honor of meeting Humpy Wheeler for the first time. Well, I met him briefly. I actually had a, a show uh, by a band called Mountain Heart. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That was maybe 15 years ago. I, I, met Hup, I met Humpy for about 15, 20 seconds. I was almost too nervous to talk to him. Uh, and then I, I just had lunch with him last week. Oh, that's great. And that was, to me, Humpy's one of the greatest, if not the greatest promoter to walk this planet. Oh, and you can almost trace the decline of NASCAR since Humpy has you gotten can, you can. out of the sport. I, I totally um, agree. And the Crockett's, um, in 19, like 86, sold about 400,000 tickets just in the state of North Carolina sure. with pro wrestling. Being in Charlotte once a week, Greensboro once yeah. a week, Fayetteville, Asheville, um, really amazing business that they had going on really in did. the Southeast. Um, so I was just really fortunate to grow up around two of the greatest promoters. Um, that had a big impact on, I mean, again, um, yeah, I mean, then Arthur Smith and Tommy Schell, sure. uh, you had that, I mean, they had a daily show on WBT. Uh, they were really big stars here in the Piedmont and state of North Carolina, South Carolina. Uh, that had a big influence. And see, Arthur just stayed in North Carolina. He didn't go. Um, so that had a big influence on me. So I guess, I don't know, a lot of that, um, I was fortunate to grow up in such a great area. Were no, you in the Kilgo era too, the Kilgo Canteen? No, that's, that was a little well, bit before my time. Kilgo's kind of had the early version of um, the Tommy Fell, Arthur Smith deal going for a teenage crowd, for yeah. a younger crowd. Yeah, that was before my time, but you know, WBT um, also, WBT radio, the talent in Charlotte, North Carolina, as far as radio and television. Oh, that's been great. Oh, you know, really you're looking at a market that's at times, especially before the Hornets and before the Panthers, was probably about a 40th to 50th market place yeah. in the United States. Now we're higher than that. But the actual talent for TV and radio was probably top five in the, na oh, in the nation. I agree. And people would get here and they realized that and they would stay here for the longest time. Um, I mean, the, the Jay Thomases, the uh, John Boys and Billies, the. That's right. I mean, that, that, I mean that Larry, was big. Larry Sprinkle. Larry Sprinkle is yeah. one hell of a talent. He is. He is um, a very talented and, guy. Um, Jack Daniel, who's involved yeah. at WROQ, then WEND, now he's at WSOC. Great talent. I was a big Rock and Ray fan. Oh, yeah, Rock and Ray. Growing yeah. up. Um, so, yeah, I was fortunate also to have WBT and WBTV in my backyard. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's a good area to be from, I yeah. mean, no doubt. There's a lot of a lot of talent in, in strange ways there. I mean, yeah, you know. for sure.
Okay, so how does Humpy Wheeler and music fit together? Yeah, so um, in 1980, um, you know, Waylon, Waylon, Willie, and the boys were pretty popular. Yes, they were. Uh, I mean, they had the big Outlaw record that had come out a couple years prior, and, and uh, Waylon, um, you know, I guess Waylon and Willie both were two of the biggest, if not biggest, country acts on the planet. Yeah. So Waylon uh, comes and plays um, the qualifying NASCAR for, and I still call it the World 600. Right, yeah, the World 600. The race in May um, at the Charlotte Motor Speedway, Humpy Wheeler, uh, I think qualifying used to be on a Wednesday night. Um, he he got he would always have entertainment. So, you know, I saw uh, Bernard Taylor, who was a boxer from Charlotte. I saw him fight two years in a row over there. They would after qualifying with him, they'd set up a boxing uh, ring and he would fight. Oh, yeah. Um, well, 1980, it was Waylon Jennings. Um, and if you recall, Waylon uh, and Willie had a little bit of a biker kind of following. They did. Um, and when you mix bikers and <laughs> cotton mill workers <laughs> and alcohol together, um, I still, I was, I guess, 12 years old, 11, 12 years old. Probably the scariest moment of my life. Um, so what transpired is Waylon performed um, in the infield. So when you think about a racetrack, think about the Charlotte Motor Speedway, where the cars come into the pits, pit road, they put a stage right there, right after the um, qualifying. Okay. And there's about 40,000 people there. <laughs> In well, the infield, too. no, oh. in, just in the stands. Oh, okay. This is where the problem arises. Oh, okay. So, the infield was only for the drivers, and I'm not sure, media. I don't know. It was very maybe a hundred people. Okay. Well, the people in the stands were jealous of the people <laughs> in the infield, and again, it's only about a hundred people. And there's 40,000 people <laughs> sitting in the stands. Right. And a racetrack is a big... It is big. ...property. Yeah. So, the crickets, Buddy Holly's crickets, yeah. they were the opening band. So they started first. Well, people got restless. Now, I'm a massive Buddy Holly fan. I'm a bigger Buddy Holly fan than I am a Waylon Jennings fan. Um, so I was, as a kid, I was, you know, Gary Busey in 78 oh, yeah, or so. Yeah, yeah. He did the best acting role he ever did, and that was the Buddy Holly story. So I was a Buddy Holly fanatic. Um, so, but people got restless, and what they started doing, and I think this NASCAR, this made the rule that you couldn't bring, and this is shocking that at one time you could bring glass bottles. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah. Into, a, into, into NASCAR. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Really. So this really changed the rule because what transpired is while the crickets were playing, people got restless, started throwing bottles. Because they were, people were trying to climb the fence right. to get into the infield. 
<laughs> now, not only that, but there were fights breaking out left and right. And people also don't realize how big a NASCAR, how tall a NASCAR fence is. True. And once you get to the top of the fence, you've got to somehow, it's at an angle to where it's not the easiest thing to then swing your body around it and climb the tree. Yes. So people were falling. Oh, no. Um, then people did, the people that got over didn't realize that the track is at an angle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. And as soon as they got landed on the ground, <laughs> their first, they wanted to run us because Cabarrus County Sheriff Department and all these highway patrolmen, all these people were out trying to detain the people that were making it over the fence. So as soon as people landed, they would start running and fall flat on their face. <laughs> Plus they'd been drinking. Yeah, oh Lord. So it was a, I mean, it was a full, I talked to Humpy Wheeler about it. It was a full riot. I'm sure it was. That was kept very quiet. Uh, how that did not get, uh, how it was not more of a big story nationally I'm not sure if I guess that's the power of Humpy. Yeah, and and um, I remember the crickets, one of them saying, okay, if y'all don't stop throwing bottles and climbing the fence, Waylon's not going to come out. Well, oh, yeah, that was the wrong thing. That was even more people started to And I, mean, I would be willing to bet 10,000 bottles were thrown. And all, all of them breaking because they're all hitting the hitting the hat. Yeah, they're going over the fence. Yeah. but I saw. Uh, I mean, I saw a knife fight. Oh, Lord. I mean, I'm a little kid. Yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, terrifying. I guess it was terrifying. Yeah. I mean, um, did Waylon wind up playing? Oh, he did play. Now, we left. I don't know if it was after five songs because it was so wild. Oh yeah. I mean, it was. Uh, it, and again, even when he's playing. People are still because they can't get close to him. Right. And he's the biggest country star in the world. At the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're still, <laughs> you're 10 football fields away from him. I mean, it sounded on paper like it was a great idea. idea. But then when you mix, and then you well know, being from uh, this area, uh, Cotton Mill Towns, the, the clientele and the people in Cotton Mill Towns, they're not going to, they're not pushovers. No, they're not. No, and, they're uh, not. You got to be careful when you go to a Walmart today in Cabarrus County, I'm sure in Gaston County. I'm sure. Um, you can't look at somebody the wrong way. It's no. going, you're going to get in a fight. Sure. Um, but it was, um, <laughs> that was a very, um, I did see, that's the only time I saw Waylon Jennings. So <laughs> That's an interesting way to see yes, him too. Um, I can, uh, in my mind, I can still... Altamont, the North Carolina <laughs> version of that, I guess. Yes, so That's... kind of funny, but um, yeah, that was that was one of my... And I remember another thing, in like 76, maybe, Donna Fargo was the grand marshal of, <laughs> of the race. So what they would always do, Humpy would always get someone as the grand marshal right. of the race, and they'd put them in the back of a Cadillac and they ride them around the track. And I remember Donna Fargo, now she was, she's from North Carolina. Yeah, she is. And she had like um, um, 
Funny Face yeah, yeah. was a big hit, and I'm the, I'm the happiest girl in the whole yeah. USA. Oh, yeah. Or, oh, yeah. um, then then Willie one year was the Grand Marshal, even though he didn't play. To my knowledge, he didn't play. He just was Grand, just Marshal. Was Grand Marshal. Then Telly Savalas. Oh, Telly, yeah. Earl Campbell. Earl Campbell. That's a strange one too. Yeah. Um, I just remember those off the head. Um, but then, I mean, Humpy would. Again, larger than life. Try to. He was trying to make. And then I saw. I was there when Janet Guthrie. Yeah. Raced. Oh, really? For the first, first time, time. And that was a big deal. It was a big deal. And I remember. Uh, that was a really big deal. Really for women's sports. I agree, it was. And, to me. Again, I don't mean to harp on this uh, mill town, but about every single woman I knew in my family, like, was a hard-working person. Right. And, I mean, I was like, I, I, I mean, it was a big deal, but I also felt like, yeah, it wasn't that big of a deal to me because my grandmother slaved away in a cotton mill exactly. for 45 years. And it was awesome for Janet Guthrie, but it was also one of the heroes of my life has been my grandmother, who was a hard right. working woman. Oh, it's a slap woman. in the face there. I mean, to yeah. a degree. Although it's a, it's a liberating and a slap in the face. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's yeah. just kind of a double-edged sword there. Yeah, so, uh, but I remember seeing her race a couple, I saw Marty Robbins yeah. uh, race. You know, That's Marty was essentially riding around uh, instead <laughs> of racing, uh, but I did see him race over at the Speedway. That's and, pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, but I'm, I'm a big Marty Robbins fan. Oh, let's uh, take it one more notch. Yeah. Uh, did, uh, who hooked David up with um, um, Kyle, Kyle Petty? I've seen that. They've done some shows. Yeah, that's so because. I've got to know Kyle. Such, Kyle Petty's such a nice fellow, talented. Uh, in so many ways, um, and Kyle also is like, how can I get better? What can I do to improve? And I said, well, I want you to go see David Childers. Right. So he went over to David's house a couple times, and David would help him with songs, and Kyle would show him songs, sure. and and um, but that's been a cool, cool yeah. thing to see. Yeah, that's a NASCAR music connection yeah. too. Yeah, super nice, Kyle's. Kyle's such a great, uh, great guy, and um, my yeah. favorite Kyle story is uh, he did the drunk driving at school. You know they got him legally drunk. He drove through the pylons and never missed a thing. You know? <laughs> he, he got out. He apologized. He said, "You know, I, I guess that genetically I'm probably not the right person to do yeah. this." You know? No, that's funny. So, yeah, that's um. But okay, how many acts do you have? At well, this moment? So management wise, I've got the Avett brothers, David Childers, Amethyst Kia, um, who was nominated for a Grammy for Best Roots song this past I mean just a few weeks right. ago. She did not win. I kind of felt bad about that. I, I really wish she would have won. I felt like she was deserving to win. Um, then we we have Sierra Farrell. We've got a band called Bombadil, we've got a band called the Ruin Brothers, and a band called the National Reserve. Um, 
Sierra Farrell's on Rounder Records. She's actually today in the studio working on her debut record. Oh, that's good. Um, you know, David's got a new record out. Uh, the Ruin Brothers, we have a new record coming out by the Ruin Brothers. Um, Samantha Crane, I'm not managing Samantha anymore, but we have a new album with Samantha coming out uh, May 1st. Um, Scott Avett produced a new album by an artist named Eve Barzillay, and it goes—he he goes under the name Clem Snide. That comes out soon. Um, Bombadil's got a new record, so we're really, really, really busy. It's good to be busy. Um, Are you maxed out? I mean, well, yeah, I think so. We would really kind of have to hire another person. I've got. Um, I've got four employees, and I would have to hire another person, I think, take to on. take on. It just comes down to, to man and women, uh, woman power. Yeah. Um, do you look new acts? or? Well, you? yeah, you know, it just has to kind of, like Sierra Farrell, for example. I don't know if this was, I guess, uh, I'm trying to think, we're in February. So I guess it might have been in May or June of this past year. We're riding down the road, I'm driving, I've got my family, I've got a 19-year-old son and a 16-year-old son. And so we're riding, a 17-year-old son now. We're riding down the road and my son, he's always wanting to have control of the radio and what we play. Oh, yeah. And I think I'm a little bit like that myself. But he he's playing something, he plays me this song, and it's like, whoa, what is this? Who is this? Right. And it was Sierra Farrell singing this song called In Dreams. And if you've never seen it, go on YouTube okay. and just search it. I will. It'll make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. All right. Is that powerful? Well, immediately that night, I tried to locate her. Gotta find who this is. I gotta work with her. So I found a band camp address, and I reach out. Um, then I find her on Facebook, I reach out. And uh, that all came about because my son played that song. Wow, that's pretty good story uh, too. So, uh, yeah, my kids have always, I've always played music for them because of it connects with them true that's it, it sort of is and this was, I mean, this was when they were three and five years old right I mean, if i could see my son i'll never forget we were in uh the avids played an event near raleigh and we had put a record out called mignonette mm -hmm. and on that record they had a song called at the beach well i had played that non-stop in my car in my house the whole record right. before it had come out so my son who's he might have been uh, five four um, he's he's in his car seat in the back we we finished this event in Clayton North Carolina with the Avids we're going home and just by chance this nationally syndicated radio show uh, with David Dye, he's no longer the host, right. but it's called the World Cafe. Sure. David Dye on there says, and here's the Avett brothers, 
at the beach. <laughs> now we had not pulled out of the parking lot. I looked back and my son had realized that someone over the radio was playing that song. They, that song. Yeah. I'll never forget that it. He was cool. so excited. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure he so, was. So, yeah, I mean, he realized that it wasn't just me pressing right. play. Right. That was an awesome moment. Yeah, well, he, great. so, and then here, 14 years later, he tells me about. Yeah, that's great. Sheriff Farrell, so, um, but yeah, so we, I don't know, it always kind of happens organically the best way. I mean, you know, David Childers and my mother telling me about the Avids. Do people um, hammer you for, I mean, are you always getting, hey, yeah, hey, will you listen I to am, this? and a lot of times, you know, it's either not my cup of tea or it's right. not my form of music I'm really right. into, and I'm honest with them, and if I can help them, I'll tell them to go, you right. know, hey, this person specializes in that. Um, and then sometimes I want to work with it, but I don't have, yeah, I don't have enough time in the day to sure to make it happen. So it's one of those things where it just sort of again organically kind of. Is it still fun for you? Always, yeah. I mean, I mean it hasn't grown yeah. to be so much. No, more. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I get off on music. I mean, it's the greatest thing. I mean, I, I wake up thinking about music, go to sleep thinking about music. That's good. You know, so I, I um, yeah, I'm the person that, you know, if there's a good song on the radio, I drive around the neighborhood yeah, before okay. I pull into my uh, driveway yeah, to let the song in, you yeah. know, kind of one of those things. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, it's still fun. I mean, it's work. Sure. Um, but, uh, I mean, I've been really fortunate to make my passion my livelihood. So yeah. I don't take it for granted either, and I work hard, and uh, it sure beats working in a cotton mill. It does. And uh, I'm so so thankful and fortunate. I know we had we had a a Thanksgiving um, dinner. I don't know four or five years ago. We all went around the room what we were thankful for, and uh, and I said I'm thankful that my grandfather slaved away over 50 years working in a cotton mill. And, yeah. uh, you know, my, my grandfather, my grandpa Ramsur, he started when he was like 13 years old working in a cotton mill full time. Yeah, my dad did too. Yeah, so when my sons would complain about taking the trash down to the end of the road, mm -hmm. I would always say, yeah. you know, sure. you'll be working full time in a cotton mill. Mm -hmm. So um, that's nothing to take lightly. So I'm, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so fortunate and, uh, music has given me so much joy and I've got to do so many great things and my kids have got to experience so much art. Will they follow you into the business? Well, you know, my son, um, my oldest son's at NC State. Oh, <coughs> I have a grandson there too. Oh, really? Yeah. So my son, he's in music there and uh, he's in a band. His band's called the Outside Cats. And he's a good guitar player. He really works at him. He plays every day. Right. Then my youngest, um, I think he's wanting to go to film school. Um, and he plays cello. Um, so I just don't know. We shall see. I just want them to do something that they love doing, and I want them to be happy. That's good. That's all you can ask. Yeah, right? that's right. And I'm, you know, I have kind of worried about where, how are they going to land on their feet, and what are they going to do, but you know, 
it's one of those things where you got to take a leap of faith you do and the Avits did it and uh, I did it and sure. you sometimes just got to jump without a safety net and uh, work hard and uh, but um, yeah I mean you know it's still the American dream is still alive and well I can tell you that I love it yeah so um, but uh, yeah, I appreciate you having me on today. Well, you're you're a very busy person, and I appreciate you coming and doing this. It's a great story, and I'm glad to meet you. Well, same here. All right. Thanks again. Thank you. I see it, how it's just sad. 